0: Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. If you want to go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning, this is where we are this morning in our study. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And uh, just to give you a little bit of background, if you haven't been following along with us, or maybe, I don't know, maybe you just need this kind of a background anyways. But, um, you know, the, the book of Acts, of course, details the history of the church after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what happened to the, the church. And, and we know that the church in Jerusalem after Pentecost Sunday just exploded uh, with people coming to faith in the Lord Jesus, thousands of people day by day, were putting their trust in Jesus as their Savior. Um, and uh, but then, when we get to chapter eight in the book of Acts, we're told that there's a persecution that's arising. Uh, uh, against the Christians. Of course, they weren't called Christians at that point. They were called followers of the way. Of course, the way being Jesus Christ. Um, and so there was a persecution, and it started in Jerusalem. And so you have all these apostles. You know, they're gathered together there in Jerusalem. The church is just growing. I mean, ministry is happening, and then persecution happens. And, uh, you know, sometimes God has an, a kind of an uneasy, or for us it's an uneasy way of like, you know, you think of a burden a nest and, you know, try to get the bird, the little bird to fly. The, the mother like kicks it out of the nest and kind of makes it fly, right? Um, well, God sort of did that with the believers there in Jerusalem. He just scattered them because of their persecution. So they went all over. And of course, Jesus said, hey, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria to the other uh, uttermost ends of the world. And, and and so he's doing that in chapter eight. Um, the, the apostles are scattered. Well, In addition to that, in chapter 11 of of, uh, the book of Acts, we're told that a man by the name of Agabus, he prophesies that there's going to be a famine throughout the whole world during that time. And then the writer of the book of Acts, which I think is Luke, um, he says, he kind of adds a little commentary, and he basically says, um, this happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. So, I mean, this guy prophesied that there would be a famine, and it happened. And so, in addition to persecution, now there's famine going on in the land. So, the church, though, of course, is growing exponentially there throughout the known world, the Roman Empire. And while the church was experiencing exponential growth throughout the Roman Empire, the saints in Jerusalem were under severe persecution, and there was a famine going on. So, poverty... And persecution, and so as Paul is going around traveling to all these different churches, he's also raising money. He's collecting donations for the saints back in Jerusalem, and in the next two chapters here that Paul is uh, uh, writing to the to the uh, Corinthians, he wants to encourage them to be a part of this giving uh, to the saints in Jerusalem, and so. In these next two chapters, because we're going to look at chapter 8 and chapter 9 this morning, this is really the gift of grace, as Paul describes it. And uh, uh, he's going to give an example of the Macedonian churches. That's in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 8. Then he's going to give the example of Christ, verse 9 of chapter 8. Then the explanation for giving and then finally, the endorsement of a delegation, because there was a group of men that were collecting the funds and bringing it to Jerusalem. And then finally, we're going to close with the exhortation to give. So that's kind of what we're looking at this morning. So what we're going to begin with this morning is the example of the Macedonians. So if you'll join with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Very interesting, Paul talks about giving. Uh, He mentions, he calls it the grace of God, which, you know, we know the grace, right? We're saved by grace. It's God's unearned favor towards us as believers. We also know from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians that grace, that same word, charis, it's where we get the word charismatic or the gifts of the spirit. And so it's interesting that Paul uses that same word for giving here in chapter 8. And so God's grace, and and I've been trying to, you know, by the way, grace is mentioned many times through these next few chapters. And so, you know, I was thinking, okay, there's something there that I think the Lord wants to speak to us about grace and about giving and why it's connected together. And, you know, about a week or maybe two weeks ago, we talked about the Corinthians, that Paul says that they received the grace but not in vain. He didn't want them to receive the grace in vain. And you think, well, what do you mean? What do you mean receiving the grace in vain? Isn't that something that we don't earn? And that's true. God, It's, it's unearned favor. We don't, we don't work for our salvation. It's a free gift uh, from God through Jesus Christ. But not only had the saints in those churches in Macedonia been saved by grace um, through faith, but God's grace impacted them, and that should always be the case. We're saved by grace, but grace should actually take root in us and, and take a hold of us and have an, have an impact on us. And so it was working out. Grace was working out in the Macedonian church in the area of giving, that's how God's grace was working out in them. Now, the church in Corinth, if you read the first letter to the Corinthians, you know that they abounded in the gifts of the Spirit, right? I mean, they had the charis, the gifts of the Spirit down pat. They were, they were just very charismatic. So while the church in Corinth abounded in the gifts of the Spirit, the churches, because there's multiple, the churches in Macedonia, they abounded in the Spirit of giving, And Paul's going to try to show them, show the Corinthians, you know, how it fits together. And so the first question that I asked, and maybe you're asking too, is who are the churches in Macedonia? What churches are we talking about? Well, we're talking about Berea. Remember the Bereans? We're talking about Thessalonica and specifically Philippi. Those areas today would be Northern Greece. Um, Corinth was in what today would be known as southern Greece. So there's a little bit of a distance between them. And I mentioned specifically Philippi. And you might say, well, why specifically Philippi? Well, the church in Philippi, we know from Paul's letter to the Philippians, was a persecuted church. They were heavily persecuted, and yet they gave freely to support Paul. In fact, he says it in in his letter, Philippians 4, verses 15 and 16. He says, now you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. So here's a church that's persecuted and they're not a wealthy church. And Paul says, in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. So they gave to Paul out of their poverty. Um, verse three, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So being an impoverished church uh, themselves, and, uh, you know, again, it's more than one church. It's not just the church in Philadelphia. You know, you think about it. Their gifts were probably not a big gift. I mean, if they're poor, you know, a poor person can't give a lot to somebody because they just don't have the money to give. And so they were an impoverished church, so their gift was probably not a large amount. But listen well, so what Paul says, they gave according to their ability. So in other words, they gave something. They gave something. What they, how, however they were blessed, they gave something. And then Paul says they gave beyond their ability. So they gave not only something, but they also gave sacrificially. That's what the churches in Macedonia were dealing. And it wasn't necessarily what they gave or how much they gave, but how they gave that mattered. And if you remember the story in Luke's gospel, I think it's in Mark's gospel too, where Jesus is sitting outside of the temple and he's sitting across from the treasury, and, and it says that he's watching how people are giving money to the temple, how they're donating to the temple treasury. And he sees wealthy people come up and they put in, you know, maybe large bags of coins or whatever, you know, a large amount of donations. And then he sees this widow that walks up, and, 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 and she just has two little coins, two mites, which is practically nothing. And yet for her, it was everything because that's all the money that she had left to live on. And Jesus was watching how she gave, and, and, he, and he uses it as a lesson for his disciples. And he says, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all, for these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. And Mark's gospel says that Jesus was watching how people put money into the treasury. Not what they were putting in, but how they were putting it in. And so this church, these churches in Macedonia, they they were giving sacrificially. They were giving according to what they had. And not only that, but look at verse 4. They were imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. It wasn't like Paul was coming to Philippi and saying, "Hey guys, uh, you know the churches you're suffering, but the church in Jerusalem, you wouldn't believe, it, they're really suffering." And if you could just spare a little bit of, su-. that's not Paul probably didn't even have to ask him for it. It says here they were begging Paul. That's what that word imploring means. They were begging Paul to take a donation from. I, I bet you Paul's probably like, "You guys, you know, you're all right. Just keep it. You know, I'll I'll go to Corinth where they have a lot of money. You know." But they were begging to give. In fact, in Romans 15.26 says, and he's speaking about the churches in Macedonia, it says, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. They wanted to give. It says, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. In other words, Not only were they begging Paul just to take their donations, but they wanted to fellowship with these other believers to partner with them in relieving them of their suffering. Verse 8, or excuse me, verse 5. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So the abundance of their gifts it couldn't be ascribed to abundance of wealth because they didn't have any, okay? It was a poor church. And it wasn't because there was a good tax-deductible benefit. You know, I, don't, I doubt that Rome had a tax, you know, I don't, I don't know that they had tax deductions in those days. You just paid tax to Rome, period. Um, so there wasn't a tax benefit for them to donate. And it wasn't even to their nature. Well, you know, the, up in Philippi, those, their culture, they're just generous people. It doesn't doesn't say anything about that. It was because of their love for God and that God had laid it on their hearts to give. That's all it was. It was was because they appreciated what God did in their lives. And and then God laid it on their hearts to give. Verse 6. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. And we'll look at this a little bit later on. But earlier or I mean, excuse me, evidently a year or so earlier, the Corinthians, they had expressed a desire to, and a willingness to contribute to the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. Maybe they had said it to Paul or whatever, but Paul was aware of the fact that they wanted to contribute. Um, And yet to date, and a a year had passed roughly, and so far they hadn't collected anything. But they had good intentions. We'll talk about good intentions later. Um, So here we have the Macedonians a poor church, and yet they gave liberally. And God's blessing them for that. And Paul's acknowledging that to the Corinthians, because Paul is trying to uh, encourage the Corinthians, who were wealthy by the way, Corinth was a very wealthy city, um, to give not necessarily what the Philippians and the churches of Macedonia gave, but to give how they gave. Well, how did they give? Gave They gave according to their ability. We looked at that. Uh, they even went beyond their ability. They gave sacrificially. They gave willingly, and they gave as unto the Lord, out of love for him. Verse 7, But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. You know, we know from 1 Corinthians that the church in Corinth was a very proud church. They were proud of their tolerance. They were very proud of the, the fact that they had spiritual gifts. They, they, they were proud of people that were very good orators that could speak well, not like me. You know, they liked Apollos. Um, they had, some of the people had troubles with Paul because of the way he spoke. They like, you know, he's not very impressive in the pulpit and stuff. And so they were a very proud church. And Paul almost is sounding a little bit, you know, um, sarcastic here in a sense, They had considered themselves very spiritual. In fact, they abounded in so much. And Paul says, hey, yeah, you guys abound in everything. Why don't you also abound in this grace as well? The grace of giving, the gift of giving. He says, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. So, you know, Paul's not like uh, telling them, you guys have to do this. He's not commanding them, um, but he's challenging them. He's challenging them to prove their sincerity and their spirituality by giving according, just with the same zeal that the churches of Macedonia did. And, you know, Paul's not going to start like this campaign thing, okay? We're going to have, you know, hey, the the Philippians gave this much you know and the Corinthians gave this much let's see if we can you know match the dollar for dollar you know he wasn't doing like that Paul was just encouraging to give the way the Macedonians gave that's what he's trying to encourage you know you've probably heard this phrase I know we've used it in, in our church before you know to be a Berean because you guys have heard that before right and you know what I, when I say be a Berean you know what I mean I mean, you know, the Bereans, they were more noble than those of Thessalonica because they would listen to what Paul said and they didn't take it verbatim. They go, "Well, he's must he's a godly man. We'll just accept everything that he said." They went home, they opened up their Bibles, whatever scriptures they had at that time, and they were looking at it and going, "Oh yeah, I can see that." They were they were students of the word. They, were, they weren't just taking his word for granted. They were, they were studying the word of God. And so when I say be a Berean, you know exactly what I'm saying. Well, in a sense, Paul is saying to the Corinthians here, hey, be a Macedonian. Give like they give, the way they give. So that's the example. And Paul's trying to encourage them with the example of the Macedonians. And now for an even better example, he's going to give them the example of Christ in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Like I said earlier, there's no greater example of giving than Jesus Christ. You know, and I, I, I can't really expound on it too much more than what I'm going to say here. And I'm just going to quote Paul in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. Talking about Jesus, he says, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. I can't say it any better than that. Jesus Christ, God, becomes man and and lives among us, and and dies for us. I mean, there's no greater gift than what he gave for you and I. And so, you know, Paul here is not suggesting that the Corinthians become poor so that the uh, excuse me, yeah, so that so that the saints in Jerusalem become wealthy. Um, in fact, he'll say that in verse 13 as we get to that. But you want the best example of giving? Paul says. Be like Christ. In other words, have the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? Again, Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. Made himself of no reputation. Laid himself down for us. I like what John says. 1 John 3, 16 through 18 says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us love not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And that's really the thing that Paul is trying to get across to the Corinthians. So the example of the Macedonians, and he's trying to stir them up and encourage them by that. And then, of course, the ultimate example of Jesus Christ. Now he's going to give them the explanation for giving in verses 10 through 15. Verse 10, and in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. So they desired to give, and they probably vocally expressed that, but yet they didn't follow through with their uh, commitment. They had good intentions. Have you ever been around somebody, maybe you're one of those people that always has good intentions, but sometimes you just get, don't get around to doing those good things. It's important to follow through with those things. And so Paul says it's your to your advantage to not just desire to give, but to actually follow through with it. We should follow through with our good intentions. I know a person who's always contacting me and and telling me all these cool things that they're going to do, and I'm like, that's awesome. Man, and then the next time I talk, to him, man, last time you said this, man, did you do it? And he's like, oh, no, I didn't do it. I'm like, come on, man, you had some great ideas, but now you need to follow through and do them, especially if the Lord's laying them on your heart. So follow through with your good intentions. Verse 12. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to one has and not according to what one does not have. God's looking for the willing heart first and foremost. He's not expecting you or I or, or the Corinthians to give what they didn't have. But, you know, we have to be real careful there, okay? We have to be real careful there. I can say, man, I don't have enough time to do some project, you know? Um, I don't have enough time to read my word, or I don't have enough time to, to do whatever it is, you know. Um, in reality, we all have the same amount of time. It's just, what am I choosing to spend my time on, right? Uh, it, 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 you know, it boils down to, and there's people that say, well, I just don't have time. Well, it boils down to, what do we choose to spend our time in? So we have to be careful not to say, hey, uh, you know, God doesn't want to give me what I don't have, and I don't have anything to give, we have to be careful there because um, we choose what we spend. You know, we do. We, we have lifestyle choices and stuff. And, and so um, Paul is trying to encourage the Corinthians to give something. Just give something. Verse 13. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack and their abundance also may supply your lack that there may be equality as it is written he who gathered much had nothing left over and he who gathered little had no lack you know it's funny that that word equality that's a that's a very popular word in our culture today and 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 uh, especially when it comes to to financing here or finances i should um paul's not talking about equality in the sense of a redistribution of wealth Okay, that's kind of a popular thing right now, Uh, socialism. That's very popular right now. A lot of people are are screaming uh, socialist ideas. Um, I like what Margaret Thatcher quoted once famously. She said, the problem with socialism is you eventually run out of other people's money, which is so true. so Paul's not talking about a redistribution of wealth here. But he is talking about allowing the Lord, or being used by the Lord, excuse me, to meet others' needs. Whereas you have an abundance, and God blesses you, and now he wants you see a brother in need, man, or a sister in need, you, you bless them. You, and so that's the equality that he's talking about. He's not talking about everybody having the same, and we're just going to give everything till everything is even. It's at uh, having, the God, or having the Lord use you to meet needs. And if you think about it, the church in Jerusalem, they had shared spiritually with uh, the Gentile churches throughout the Roman Empire, right? I mean, all these apostles, the disciples, you know, uh, people are getting saved. They're going out. Uh, the church is just growing. There's missionaries all over the Roman Empire. And these Gentiles who, are, in a sense, were afflicted with sin... Now they're hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. They're being set free from bondage to idolatry. Uh, And and so now they're being set free. So the the church in Jerusalem shared spiritually with the Gentiles. But now the church in Jerusalem is physically suffering. And so what Paul is trying to encourage them, now you have an opportunity to share materially. They've blessed you so much. now Now you have an opportunity to bless them. Jesus said this in Luke 6. Verses thirty-eight he says, Give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now that's a you know, that applies to money, of course, and financial finances and giving, but it also applies to so many other areas. Extending mercy extending mercy to someone, extending grace to people, forgiving people, loving someone. You know, as you give, it's going to come back to you. For this, the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And so what Paul is trying to encourage the Corinthians, let the Lord use you to bless others. And we want to be channels. We want to be used by the Lord to bless others. And so now, Paul here in this next portion and it's actually going to kind of go into, ver- into chapter 9. He's going to give an endorsement for the de- delegation that are collecting the gift. Uh, he's going to speak about Titus and these other apostles, or these other men that were, that were actually collecting the gift, and they, were, and they were the ones that were bringing it. So let me uh, go to verse 16 here. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligently, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but he who is also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent them with our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. If you look at verse 20, Paul says, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us. As I mentioned earlier, in Corinth, there were people there that rejected Paul's authority. They didn't, even keep, they, they didn't even really think that he was an apostle. Um, and and they, they would cast aspersion on Paul's character and on his ministry. And so Paul here is very wise. Um, he's removing himself from the equation and he's appointing men of good reputation, men that the Corinthians know, uh, to go before him. Because they're going to go before him. They're going to collect the gift. So Paul's not showing up and collecting the gift. These men that they know, that they trust, they're going to go ahead and they're going to collect the gift. And then when Paul shows up, the money will be there and then Paul will take it on and it'll end up in Jerusalem. And so Paul is wisely removing himself from that equation. The church in Corinth knew Titus because Paul had sent Titus with his epistles, And so they, and Titus has spent some time there. So so they know Titus, they've seen him. um, And then in verse 18, he also sent a brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift. Don't you hate that? Paul doesn't say who it is. It's like, man, Paul, why don't you just say his name? But it's a brother that all the churches know. They've all approved him. They've appointed him and stuff. And, and so we don't have any idea who this brother is. I don't. And if you go to the commentators and they say, well, we think it's, they don't know. Nobody knows. Um, I bet you somebody on the Internet probably knows, though. So if you want to dig it up, I'm sure someone's got some proof somewhere. Um, but evidently, the church knew who this person was, and they trusted him. Now, does that mean that Paul was untrustworthy? Like, Paul's like, well, you know, I can't really trust myself with the funds, and so I'm sending these guys that you trust. No, Paul was completely trustworthy. But as he says here, he, um, in uh, verse, let me find it here. Uh, verse 21, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. God knew Paul's heart. God knew that Paul was trustworthy paul knew that paul was trustworthy but he wanted to be honorable in the sight of men as well and i think that's such a good a good concept for any ministry any church to be above board you know it's like yeah I can, I, i'm trustworthy but you know what i want to prove my trustworthiness to those around it. i want everything to be transparent um, so that's what paul is saying here And then we move into chapter 9 and he's continuing this, endorsing these guys. Verse, nine, uh, verse one, excuse me, of chapter nine. Now concerning the ministry, uh, ministering to the saints, it is su- super, superflu- superfluous, <laughs> superfluous. Anyways, you know what I mean. <laughs> it's that word for me to write to you. For I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaos was ready a year ago when your zeal has stirred up the majority yet I have sent the brethren lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect that as I said you may be ready lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared we not to mention you should be ashamed of this confident boasting therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go uh, to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand which you had previously promised that it may be as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. There in verse 2, Paul says, I know your willingness, about which I boast to you, the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready to a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. So evidently, Paul had, um, he had, or excuse me, the Corinthians had vocally said, yeah, we want to contribute to the saints in Jerusalem. Paul evidently had heard that. And so Paul went up to Macedonia and says, hey, the Corinthians, man, they, they're, they're, they want to bless the church in Jerusalem. And so they're collecting stuff. And the church in Macedonia said, man, we want to participate, too. We want to bless them, too. And so the, the church in Macedonia, man, they were all excited about it. The news of Corinth wanting to give encouraged them. And so the Macedonians, they did it. They collected a contribution. The problem was Corinth, they said they were going to, and then they didn't do it. And so evidently, Paul is, you know, he's sending these, this delegation ahead of time, Titus and these other guys, to collect the money so that Paul's out of the equation. Now, when Paul shows up, he, evidently, it seems like maybe some of the church of Macedonia was going to travel with Paul back to Jerusalem. And so the, some of these guys that had heard all this good news about Corinth Paul says, man, if they show up and you guys don't have anything, what's it, you're going to be embarrassed. I'm embarrassed because I, I boasted about you guys, but they're going to be, you're going to be embarrassed too because you didn't do it. And you know what would have happened? I know what would have happened. Paul would have showed up with those Macedonians and the Corinthian believers at that point would have scrambled to put something together. And then it wouldn't have been a willingness of heart. It would have been a burden under an obligation maybe they weren't prepared or whatever it's like oh man okay well this was going to this but man i'm I'm gonna i have to give it now because we want to save face in the eyes of these these other believers so paul says man get it ready and and give it to these guys and and then when you arrive or when we arrive man there's not going to be any embarrassment or anything like that now in the last of this chapter verses six through fifteen Paul is going to give an exhortation on gift giving. And there's so many, just, I mean, you could do messages on each one of these verses pretty much, um, but we're going to look at it into, its, into the entirety of the chapter. And uh, let's see what Paul says to the Corinthians and hopefully he's saying to us as well. Verse six, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You know, I, I know it's true in farming. If you just scatter a few seeds, you just plant a few seeds, you're going to have just a few. Cro- you know, your crop's going to be small. So you, you plant abundantly, or you excuse me, you sow abundantly, and you you know you're expecting to reap abundantly. Same with gardening. Um, now I'm not a gardener. My wife's got the green thumb in our family, and and anyways, we were putting some seed down on the grass, and because uh, we had done some work in the yard, and 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 I just take just handfuls of grass seed, and I'm like just dumping. There's like mounds of grass seed, and she's like, that's that's too much. You can't do that. I'm like, hey, go back to this verse, you know? <laughs> if you sow abundantly, you'll reap abundantly. So, um, but I don't know if that's true with grass seed, but in any event. What's true in planting and gardening, it's true in giving as well. And, and, and so, if you sow, I don't know how else to say it, stingily, you'll reap stingily. This I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse 7, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I've got news for you if you don't know this already. God doesn't need our money. He really doesn't. I've had to learn that. God doesn't need your money. And so Paul's saying, and and the Spirit would say to us too, don't give out of shame. You know, one thing that I love about Calvary Chapel, uh, the way we do teaching through the word is, you know, it's not like, okay, guys, the funds are low. I'm going to do a sermon on giving, you know, so I got to, I'm going to really lay some guilt trips on the church because we really need to get some more money in the coffers, you know, Uh, what I love about going through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, I just cover it when the Holy Spirit covers it. So I'm not picking my sermons. It's just like, okay, Paul's talking about giving. Well, we'll, we'll talk about giving this morning. And so um, why did I say that? Oh, I just I just like the fact that I that I don't have to make you know I don't have to shame people into it. Paul says, "Don't give out of shame, don't give out of obligation." That word grace I mentioned at the very beginning of the message. Grace is that word charis, and he's referring to the gift as charis. It comes from the root, root word to rejoice. That's what grace comes from, to rejoice. You think about it, Jesus Christ, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross he gave of his life joyfully and so the lord loves a cheerful giver and that word charis which is grace it is the direct opposite of uh, another greek word which is erga which means works because you can't earn you know grace is a, is freely given you can't earn grace and so don't give out of shame Don't give out of obligation. Give joyfully. And don't give out of manipulation. You know, when I mentioned about sowing and seeds, and if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly, and if you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully, you know. Some people can take these passages of Scripture and they can really, you know, kind of manipulate it and make it say exactly what they want to say. And you may have heard this phrase before about giving your seed faith gift. If you give your seed faith gift, God's going to multiply it. And and, uh, I'm probably going to step on some toes, but that's okay. You know, ministries that stress that and they say that, you know, give your seed faith gift, God's going to multiply it. The thing that I've noticed, especially in these ones that are on television and stuff and say these things, they believe it for you, their listeners. (laughs) But they obviously don't believe it for themselves because if they believed it for themselves, they go, you know what? Hey, uh, we're going to get all the money that comes into our ministry. We're going to send it to all our listeners because God's going to multiply. We're going to send our seed faith gift to the, to the listeners and God will multiply. See, they don't, it doesn't go that way. It always goes to the listeners. You give your seed faith money and God's going to bless you. So, I, again, I don't mean to, well, I guess I, I guess I do mean to step on some toes. But um, anyways, I have a pretty strong feelings about this. Don't give out a manipulation. If somebody tells you this ministry is going to die, just let it die, <laughs> okay? Because um, God doesn't need our money. Have I said that before? God doesn't need our money. He doesn't want us to give out a shame or manipulation. He doesn't want us to give grudgingly. And so you might be sitting there and go, amen, brother. So now I don't have to give because I don't want to give grudgingly. I don't want to be manipulated, man. I just, cool, why should I give? Well, here's why you should give. First of all, giving is a way to loosen your grip on this world and for the world to loosen its grip on you. Matthew six nineteen through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you're giving, it just, you know, I wish I could say this is how it happens. As you give, God does this in you, and then, and then pretty soon the world doesn't have a grip on you. But, you know, I, I can't say the mechanics of it, but I know it's true. I know it's true. As you give, And as you give freely and willingly, as as the Lord blesses you, man, there's, there's just something that happens. It loosens your grip on the world and the world's grip on you. Giving is also a way to express your thankfulness and love to the Lord Jesus Christ who gave the ultimate gift for you and I, who became poor that you and I might become rich. Giving is also a way that God can use you as his instrument to bless others. We all want to be used by the Lord. Well, God can use you as an instrument through giving. And then God loves a cheerful giver. I mentioned that already. Grace, the word giving, the word grace, comes from the root Cairo means to rejoice. Looking unto Jesus, Hebrews 12, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was set before him, going to the cross, the crucifixion. You know, we, you've seen the movie The Passion, you know, uh, and it's a, very, it's a very moving movie and stuff. And it's, it's really dark and everything. But, you know, the Bible says Christ did it joyfully for you and I. That's an amazing thing when you think about it. Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, He has dispersed abroad, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now may He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. God blesses the right kind of giving when we give it willingly from our heart. He rewards even the smallest gift if it's given with the right heart. And the right, uh, excuse me, the, the reward, the blessing, it may be in a greater abundance of wealth in order to be able to continue blessing others. God may do that. Um, I like what David Guzik says. He says, God wants us to be channels of blessing, not reservoirs of blessing. You know, this is just a different way to look at what what the Lord blesses us with. He also (coughs) rewards people with contentment. And that's kind of what I was, that's that whole concept of the world's grip it gets loosened. Our grip on the world, our grip on material things, and also its grip on us. Uh, finally, you know, you get to a point as you give, you grow in contentment. You might think that doesn't make sense because I'm giving and I'm, I'm I'm actually I'm coming up with less because I'm giving to somebody else. But God has a way of making you content and blessing us. And so the blessing it may or may not be. A, you know, a, okay, you give so-and-so, you know, such amount of money, and now God's going to bless you back fold ten thousandfold, or tenfold, or 100-fold, whatever. You know, it may not be that, but God blesses, and his blessings come in so many different ways. Um, verse 12, For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for your obedience, excuse me, for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you, who longed for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. You know, I'm obviously not wealthy right now. Maybe you think I'm wealthy. I'm not wealthy right now. I mean, we, God's blessed us. He's provided for us. My, I'm speaking of my own family. Um, it, it, but the thing is, <clears throat> there was a time when my wife and I were struggling financially. We, we've been kind of, we've been on that end of the spectrum. And and so we've known what it's like to just like, okay, uh, there's just not enough money. You know, we're going to have to make, figure out what we can do without, you know, and um I'm talking about necessities. What can we can do without? And during that time, I remember, especially when we were a young couple, man, the Lord just would continue to bless us. And it would come in different forms. And sometimes it'd be somebody that would just, you know, I don't know if they just heard about our situation or the Lord laid it on their hearts, but somebody would come by, maybe they'd bring us a bag of groceries or whatever. And, you know, I was always thankful for the person. Man, I'm, I'm so thankful. But you know what I ultimately thanked? I thanked the Lord. Cause the Lord would put it on the people's hearts to give the Lord. uh, There was a time my uh, father had passed away and uh, um, he lived in California. He had passed away. I had actually been out there visiting. I knew he was dying. And uh, so I, I spent uh, my last, you know, said my last goodbye to him, and came back to Minnesota because I had to work my job, and uh, my wife stayed there. And as things got closer and closer, and then he died, you know, I I had to come back. And so uh, it's not cheap buying plane tickets, you know, back and forth, flying, flying all over. So you know, it was a little bit of a sacrifice. And and uh, there was somebody, uh, again, my wife is in California. I think it was a Sunday afternoon, actually. And I was going to be flying out, I think it was the next day, if I remember right. And the water heater went out in the house. It was leaking. And I'm like, oh, great, now i got to spend X amount of money on a water heater. And there was somebody at my house who was just, who was just hanging out. He just stopped by to visit and uh, struggling in his walk with the Lord. And I was just, uh, he, he knew I was going to California uh, for the funeral and, and stuff. And, he, you know, he, he didn't know exact our financial situation, but he, I mean, he was aware that things were a little bit tight. And uh, we're standing there, and I kid you not, someone knocks on the door, and, wa- and, and I open the door, and it was a, a guy, he just said, man, the Lord just laid on my heart to give you some money. I'm like, oh, okay. And he gave me the exact amount of money to buy a water heater. And I remember looking, the and the person next to me, I the, when we, I closed the door, I thanked the guy, I closed the door, and I looked at and his jaw was almost on the ground. He's like, I can't believe. And I'm like, you know, th- th- that's a generous person, but you know, God knew the need. God met the need. And, and He used that person. And so, what a testimony. Um, God knows our needs. And uh, the praise and the glory, it always goes to God. I mean, I thank the Lord for generous people. And uh, there are some people that just have the gift of giving, and God bless them. And uh, um, I think. Uh, It's a great great gift to have, and I thank the Lord for them, but ultimately I always thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord, because you know the needs. You know the situation. So God meets the needs. God knew the needs of the church in, in Jerusalem, and so God was stirring up the hearts. He stirred up the hearts of the Macedonian churches, and Paul's trying to encourage the Corinthians. Hey, guys, you want to be used by the Lord to bless others? Here's your opportunity, and so... The praise and the glory always goes to him, ultimately. We always thank the Lord because the Lord's the one that orchestrates all these different things. I mean, the person to be at my house, you know, it was just, it was just a happenstance thing. The person knocking on the door, they weren't even a part of our church. It was just somebody who just, It's like out of the blue. I mean, I, didn't, I mean, how did he know? God knew. And so that, that's really cool. And so finally... Verse, and you're probably thinking, finally, the sermon's almost over. (laughs) Verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You just think of the gift of salvation that the Lord Jesus Christ gave for us. He doesn't ask us to lay down everything to give to your neighbor or whatever, whatever ministry. He doesn't ask us to do that. But he did that. He gave his entire life for you and I he 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 set aside his reputation he he was spit upon he was beaten it's just all for you and I that we through his poverty might become rich through his the blood of Jesus Christ which is, washes us from our sins